This is the Mentor My Mix podcast. I'm Greg Gordon, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of music production from both a producer and educator's perspective. Mentor My Mix goes behind the scenes to reveal the skills, talents, and business smarts needed to make a living as both a producer and educator in today's music business. Brought to you by Pyramind, America's premier electronic music production school and drawing from its extensive network of producers and trainers. Mentor My Mix seeks to explore what makes for a great producer and educator and the chance to get to know what makes them tick, both as everyday people and their passion for making music their lives. Today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dustin Musser, AKA Social Kid. What's up, Dustin? How you doing today? I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me here. All right, awesome. Well, it's great to have you here today. So uh, we're listening to uh, this opening track, which is one of your Social Kid hits called Epica. Huh? Mm-hmm. Thank you. It was released um, pretty recently on Synesthesia Records, which is a record label that specializes in electro and mid-tempo music. And that's a SoundCloud label, is that right? It is a SoundCloud label. Um, they put stuff out on Spotify, but they're mostly known through the SoundCloud. They have like a big following on SoundCloud. Right. Well, you also obviously you've got a pretty big and growing following now uh, as Social Kid on uh, on Spotify. I've been checking that out. And uh, so, just tell us a little bit about this track. What's what's the kind of the genesis of this one here? Well, as you hear, there's like this um, pretty elaborate melody going on right now. Um, I actually wrote this melody before I wrote anything. Uh-huh. It was um, deeply inspired by my love of like Baroque and like Bach music, um, who's like an old school producer or I guess composer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you could say that, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's he's a gangster. Um, uh-huh. He would just- the, the OG, the original OG yeah, right here. Uh-huh. I just love like always since I was younger, like how he can just like turn make a banger out of just like a, a harpsichord and melody. Uh-huh. And so I like, as my, um, sort of education and music theory, I would really deconstruct, like, how does he do this? And so I, with this track, I'm incorporating, like, Bach-esque style um, arpeggio chord progressions, and I wrote that melody first, and I was like, how can I turn this into a banger? And so this is how I did it. Um, I just wrote, 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 excuse me, I wrote the melody, and then I started producing, like, a beat to go with that melody, and I called the track Epica, because I feel like the melody is pretty epic. It is pretty epic. The vocal's pretty epic too. And um, well, it, it reminds me of a track that you and I worked on together quite a few years ago, actually. Um, not long after you left Pyramind, I guess well, it was a good few years because our listeners should know you're you're an alumni of Pyramind, but you're mm-hmm. um, also now you know you've kind of evolved into having quite a, a career as a, both a producer as an, and an artist. And I remember that's why I contacted you particularly for this kind of sound, because you've been working, rocking this sound pretty hard for a while, and I think what's really changed is is just the tempo mm-hmm. and how you've been approaching it from a tempo perspective. But we, we got to work together on this track that was uh, for, a, for a video game that I've been, I was working on uh, called Sunset Overdrive. That's right. right. I remember that one. You remember that? It was called oh, yeah. f- uh, Fizzy or something like that? It was like Mr. Fizzy Boss Fight. It was like this round like That's robot right. character That's where like, you were skating around fighting him. Uh-huh. And this 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 feel really evoked that really well. I remember feeling that and feeling like this would be a perfect track for you to produce for that game. And I think it it still it still is to this day. It has that vibe, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, so, yeah. It's those electro um, sawtooths, like with um, it's really basically just like a sawtooth overdriven with like white noise, like super hard, and it gives you like this really gritty sound. And I feel like it. It's like chocolate chip cookies. It's just not going to get boring ever. <laughs> I totally agree. So now you're you're a big Reason producer, right? You're really into Reason. Yeah, I I love Reason. It's I'm so glad it's it's come the like as far as it's come with a Reason because like back in the day, I was doing crazy stuff to get Reason to be able to compete with these other DAWs because I love the interface and like how you produce in Reason compared to other DAWs. So what? Yeah, what about it is it that you love so much? I really, like right now, recently, I love the look of the mixer. I love the look of the racks, how they look like real instruments. The graphics in it are really cool. Um, but the coolest thing for me is the the block, like arrangement views. So you can create like these arrangement markers 
for your tracks and it color codes the entire section of like your arrangements. So mm, you can create mm -hmm. like, this is the course um, and you can like label it any way you want, color code it any way you want. And sure. it just makes it really easy to arrange, which I feel like is a really important part of music production. Um, because before I started using these blocks, I would get like in, stuck in like loop mode all the time and just, um, you know, repeating my loop and then putting different block arrangements like helped me like visualize, okay, where do I want to take the track? Mm, and mm -hmm. um, so it really became a great arrangement tool. Oh, for yeah. You. Mm -hmm. I, I'm Ableton has like a similar function, but it's just not as good as how Reason does it. And I don't think, I mean, I played with a lot of DAWs. They don't, they're just not as good as Reason in that sense. And now that like every DAW basically sounds like their output, like engine, like the coding is so good nowadays that it all sounds basically the same they're like all like 32 bit they're all really good so mm -hmm. from an audio you're, you're yeah, from, from like an a, audio engine perspective yeah so yeah. basically what you're choosing when you're choosing a daw is like your like user experience essentially nowadays mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i just really like the way reason flows well it's the user experience but it's also uh the synths i know you probably have some favorite synths in reason too that you, oh, yeah. you go to's there's some really good synths <clears throat> There's some really good sense and reason. I really love um, Thor. Thor is a, I mean, by now standards, um, it's pretty simple, but sometimes simple is all you need. I I love um, how Thor has, um, it's mostly like the sound characteristics of the sawtooth. I, I find to be really good for like deep, um, Reese sounding pads that other synths just are almost like too good to make like the simple sounds that I want. Um, for more complicated sounds, I I tend to go to VSTs, but reasons like um, stock synths are pretty good. And with a combinator, which is like a tool that you can use to create and make really interesting synth combinations, mm -hmm. you can kind of just go crazy depending on your processing power. In terms of stacking them or putting them in 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 a, in a row together, mm -hmm. how you combine them, yeah, I love that. Well, look, you you've been uh, pretty cool to bring us some stems of this track here. So I've got some of these stems queued up. So since we're talking about Epica, mm -hmm. um, let, let's listen to this bass bus track and tell us a little bit about what you're doing here. This is the the bass bus stem from um, Epica here. Okay, let's check it out. So right now you're hearing them it fade in, which is a technique I love to do. Because right now it's, this is like the build-up section, and this is teasing the bass before it like fully drops in. Right, right. Now what I'm hearing right away that I love is you've got an element that goes to mono, and then it pulls out to stereo. I can hear it going mono to stereo. How are you doing that? Very um, clever um, ear noticing. So the thing is, is um, I have um, a separate layer of a synth that's just like wide. Like I have the it's high pass to such a degree. I think like 1K and down is like where the, the, I mean, it's like the lows are cut from like 1K and down. And I have like this widener tool on it. So it's just super wide. Which one do you use? Which widener do you like to use? Um, This, well, I've been using, um, uh, I think it's called like Fatuator. Okay. They have this setting where you can just turn it all the way um, to like, like a wide setting. Uh -huh. And, um, it's like a saturation tool, but it has like this really cool widener effect. And I like it um, more than the ozone isotope um, widener because it, it doesn't take up so much processing power. Mm, yeah, that's that's for sure. That's a, a factor, yeah. And um, I love using like the Reason RV7000. Like when the bass was filtering in, you heard like a lot of reverb and the RV7000, such a good reverb. I like almost wish they had that as like a separate VST. I think you actually can do it. Now Reason, like with Reason 11, it is like a VST if you want it to be. And so I use the RV7000 to create like a lot of space. So when the bass is like filtering in, it's like, it, it's slowly starting to like meld with like all the sound effects. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's just like naturally coming out of the sound effects and like builds up. Um, this bass you're hearing right here now is um, a sp is from Spire. What's cool about Spire is Spire is a VST, but Propellerhead, or I guess it's now called Reason Studios, somehow acquired the rights for it. And there's like a rack extension, which is like a, an exclusive um, like plugin type for Reason. So I've been using that a lot because it's it's awesome to have like a high quality synth like in reasons like native environment 
And so that's what this um, baseline is now, Spire. Super cool synth. Cool. So what was the mono element of the bass earlier on? Because you were going from that stereo, um, high-pass filtered uh, element. The mono the element was, the, a, yeah. was an instance of Serum. And like I made like a really electrified like bass with Serum. Serum's really good at that. Like Right yeah, there you, it is. Yeah. Here it comes again, right here, yeah. So like I'm like um having like the serum play like its notes and then um in different notes I'm having like the wider like part of it play under it. So it's like a layer. So I keep like, you know, playing it and then taking the layer away, but like maintaining like that one serum like hit. So it like has like this, you know, call and response, but right. like the stereo yeah. um, image because I think that's really cool and I haven't really heard anyone else do that. So I'm just trying to push the envelope any way I can. And recently what I've been doing, um, Reason's mixers have a really cool, like easy, like wide to mono knob. And so like when the drop is like building up, um, I mean, when the buildup is building to the drop, like right before the drop, I'll like try to turn everything mono. So when the drop hits, like you're just, not only are you getting a lot of low end, new low end and like new high end, but you're getting like new, um, like stereo imaging, which just makes the drop sound even bigger. Right. So you go, you're, you're, you're closing it down, closing it down, closing it down and yeah. bam, yeah. you get a big wide image and all yeah. the low end dropping and at it's, the same And it's really helpful because, um, the way I've been mastering, um, like contrary to like what traditional mixing engineers suggest, I've been kind of killing my dynamic range, mm, mm -hmm. and and to sort of like bring back that dynamics, I've been utilizing like other type of spectrums, like the stereo image, to sort of bring back that dynamic range without, you know, compromising like the the loudness of of my mastering. Oh yeah, well now now we're going into the drum bus here, um, so. This is a nice little build up here at the intro of the track. Oh yeah, so I'm using like this, um, I have this drum loop going and I'm using this free VST um, called um, by Expert Records, which is the same people that do um, Serum um, to create like this um, distortion effect. Um, so it bit crushes the drum and then it slowly like um, bit crushes down. So it sounds like you're just like losing um, like bit death. And so then when the drums come back in, it's like, oh wow, we have all this bit death now. And it's like another type of, you know, drop impact. These drums right here, pretty basic, just, you know, techno house drum beat. Um, and I made that kick sound with a really cool plugin called uh, Kick 2. Which let's, is, let's listen to that kick for a second. Yeah. I'm definitely hearing some saturation on there, huh? Yeah. I little little bit overdrive almost. I was pushing those, um, the kick and the clap through um, a limiter um, it's Fab Filters like limiter and the Pro L, the Pro yeah, the Pro L, uh -huh. which is a really cool limiter because yeah, of great. like the graphics will like show you like visually like how much you're clipping, and I find that if I um, use that limiter as like to compress the drums, I can like get a really even signal because when you're layering like a kick and a clap, um, a lot of times you can just like your kick will be going and your clap will be going like on top of it. And you'll just get like a six dB like plus to your headroom. And I'm like, whoa, that's that's like, it can really like messes up the mix and the mastering. So I just limit my entire drum bus. And I feel like if I'm getting like, you know, under like four dB of like gain reduction, that's pretty okay. I try to go for as little as possible, but um, just like around four is pretty good for like a solid like kick snare. This drum beat right here, like is the I love this. I mean, it goes right into this kind of almost funky drum beat. Well, yeah, right? I'm using more of an acoustic like drum beat now because uh -huh. this is like the big breakdown where like the melodies like open up. Uh -huh. And so I wanted to take the drum beats like to like a more like chill level so the melodies could like really um, shine through. And this is like my breakdown. So I feel like it's the perfect place to like showcase the melody. Um, which is like typically like in a like a trance breakdown, you would like have the melodies going. But I wanted there to be a beat so you could like dance to the melody if you want to. And now we're into the buildup where I'm doing some like buildup drums. So we get back to that like driving techno beat um, that like really pushes that bass line like, like in your face. So you can just like really rock out to electro. Here it comes. Here it comes. Uh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right.
right. So now let's let's talk a little bit about the melodic bus because you got a, a really nice melodic bus here. So talk about what you're doing here. So um, this is um this arpeggio is made with um serum. I I really like using serum a lot for like big sounding synths because it's it's just a really powerful synthesizer. Um, ever since I've been able to use serum in Reason, it's it's been a game changer. There was a point I was actually like thinking like, should I switch over to Ableton because I can't use <laughs> like VSTs? Uh -huh. And then like right when I like started thinking about that, Reason announced, oh, we're going VST. So yeah, that was a big game changer. Yeah, it was a big game changer. Mm -hmm. So um, so that that melody like goes throughout the entire track. It dropped out now because this is like where the buildup would happen mm -hmm. and like the the bass is gonna go through. Mm -hmm. But that melody is like playing like a C minor arpeggio. And I use that to kind of establish like this is going to be a melodic track. Mm -hmm. Now it's like gotten a little bit more open because this is the second part of the drop. Sure. So it sounds like you open the filter up and yeah, you're side chaining it here. Yeah. Is it because side chaining? It's, it's very side chain yeah. because this is when, oh, now it's starting to get bit crushed because it's, it's going into like the breakdown now. Yeah. I side chained it a lot because, um, I really like wanted the kick and bass to come through. I feel like with like, you know, heavy dance music, heavy bass music, the drums are like always going to be the star and always going to be the loudest instrument. Um, even when um, it's like more of a melodic track, I, I tend to find that on the dance floor, you really want to hear the drums. So now in the breakdown, I'm starting to bring in more modulation. <clears throat> more modulation. This is nice. This is like almost cinematic in a way. The yeah. chord progression feels really cinematic. Here. I have some Miroslav vocal samples going uh -huh. in, which is this really cool um, Reason refill, which is like a, a sample packs specifically for Reason. Yeah. And I have like different um, layers of um, vocal samples, so they almost sound like they're actually speaking, mm -hmm. like different types of like laws and ahs, so it sounds like a like a choir which is, was inspired by listening to a lot of Danny Elfman music. Yeah, I, you know, that's so funny. That's exactly what was going through my head. I was thinking Edward Scissorhands almost. Yeah, I just watched <laughs> that movie with my family a couple days ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, how funny. That's great. Yeah. So totally now, the vibe. And I mean, even your T-shirt, right? The T-shirt oh, you're yeah. wearing. That's got an Edward Scissorhands feel to it right there. Yeah, totally. The little dolls, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So... The melody now is like, this is like where it's that um, funky groove is playing. Um, oh, right. Over the it. funky breakdown. Yeah. And uh -huh. so now it's going to go into, um, it's like just finished its like main melodic sequence of like showing off all the sort of tonal modulations. And right here, it's starting to build up. That drum build up is playing. And I'm slowly uh, fading out the melody because this is when the bass is coming through with that reverb that like slowly turns down so we can like kind of bring you into the drop. And then it's gonna like cut out right for the first part of the drop. Ooh, there it is, yeah. And I like use, I turn down all the wet just for a little bit so you can, because there's like a snare roll right before the drop. And I just wanted you to only hear the snare roll. So when you master it, like the snares are like very loud. And then when it goes into the drop, you hear that kind of like wet side chain, but it like quickly tails off. Because then right after the first um, drop, like it loops, we go back into the melody because I want to kind of like tie the whole thing together. So now I'm giving you a little bit of the chord progression, but it's still not doing the full sequence that it did during the breakdown just because I feel like that would be a little much to go like full chord progression because yeah. I still want it to be like a heavy dance track. So I'm just doing like looping the first three chords while it's like playing. And then I give you like, right after it loops again, I give you one more loop of the chord progression before we end the track. <laughs> nice, I love how you describe that, that was fantastic. So coming out of this melodic bus here, we've got a, a, an SFX bus. Um, so is this just the returns or is this sound design? What, what um, is this, tell us what's so going the on sound here. So I have two types of sound effects um, groups. This is like the sound effect bus, as you just said. Um, it's mostly just um, atmospheric sounds. Um, I have like this vocal sound that just adds a lot of atmosphere. I think um, that what we're hearing right now is um, ocean ambience, like underwater ocean ambience. Oh, that's cool. I feel yeah. like, like in real life, like it's amazing how that could almost be wind noise too, right? It's, yeah, it could could be both. It could be both. Yeah. The thing is, is like the ocean to me is like a real life epic thing. Mm -hmm. 
and like most humans like recognize that like oh that's epic the ocean so that i kind of like put that under there Ooh, there was like a, a big screech mm-hmm. these now we're in the drop now so um these are like little like fills that like happen during like the spaces of the baseline mm-hmm. to create more like drama it's like, ear, in the drop. It's like ear candy drama yeah here. yeah and i just feel like that um Sometimes like different column response sounds of the bass can get a little boring, even though it's like really exciting. If you just like sparkle a little um, non-bass fills, it could be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it adds an element of yeah. excitement to that that whole feel around that. I love it. That's great. So now we're like back into the breakdown. I have that um, ocean ambience, which adds like this subtle like epic vibe because, like you, like I said before, you feel like you're in this like big vast space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. This sound effects bus is basically just providing that atmosphere that just brings like a, a high sort of frequency top sheen to everything. And when it's all mastered together, it really adds so much fidelity to the track and it it's able to like make things sound really loud without it being too loud. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how that a sense of ambience, even as subtle as that, um, really adds to, like you said, the epic feel of the track, the feeling like you're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost, it's almost somewhat akin to like lo-fi style of production where you're hearing the crackling, the pops, and, yeah. and it's like that downgrading of the sound, almost like the bit crushing effect mm-hmm. that creates a, a an ambiance, a feel that, um, you know, without it, it's just not the same thing, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I sometimes like to incorporate um, like vinyl sounds, although those I'm not as used to like mixing vinyl. I just actually started like playing with making like lo-fi beats recently, and um, the vinyl crackle is such a sexy sound. I get why people like will purposely put it in there. Right. Yeah. Um, the sort of ocean ambience and those higher frequency sounds do have like a similar effect. And I think that's like why people are so into it because it like fills out the space because like when you're just existing naturally like there's more going on in the world than just like you know people talking and stuff like that there's like subtle ambience and i think like as people we're just used to that so when we hear like a track that like has something like that that's like another layer of accessibility for your music. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the old soap operas. You know, if you ever watch an old soap opera and you listen to you listen to it and you go, what's wrong with this? Something's missing. And it's the ambience. It's yeah. that that it's like the sense of reality. Right? Yeah. It brings a whole sense of reality to the track mm-hmm. that it wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, it becomes kind of like uncanny, but you like if you if you don't really know what's going on, you you, you can like feel it like something's off, but you don't know what it, you can't quite can't put your finger on it. Yeah, exactly. All right, so coming out of this SFX bus is another bus, uh, is another effects bus that you're calling Blur. Uh, so let's talk about the Blur effects here. What are the Blur effects? So these all? effects specifically are effects that I use to transition um, between different sections. Uh-huh. And I really like to make sections, and because Reason makes it so easy with their block on feature, um, because I. I want it to still be DJ friendly, yeah. But it also not sound like a DJ track. But mm-hmm. like, if a DJ like counts it, it like just moves through the track the way like a, a dance track should. Mm. So these are sweeps, like you know, downlifters, uplifters. I put like my sub drops, which is basically just a sine wave going do, mm-hmm. um, to like signify certain sections, other impacts, like like that sweep up. Mm-hmm. It's just going into like a new section. Not quite sure where we are. Probably a breakdown. Yeah, we're about um, about a minute, almost minute ten into the track here. This is oh, this is probably like the la- the later part of like the first drop. It's like transitioning into its breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Little, um, downlifter section. Um, so this effect, this uh, effects bus is the I call it blur because it kind of blurs and glues the sections together um, and making the whole song kind of sound whole. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like to process my, effect, my blur effects bus differently than my sound effects bus because you heard in my sound effects, I would have like fill effects and a little bit more active sounds. This is even like usually way quieter and it's just a 
a subtle layer of glue. I kind of like to call it like it's gl I'm gluing the track together. I'm stitching it together with this um, mm -hmm. this bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. The, all these transitional elements mm -hmm. that have a lot of airiness to them yeah. and a sense of um, almost a sense of wonder. Yeah, yeah. It's kinda, and I like it's to cool. use like high frequency sounds too. Like um, I really like using like wind chimes. I think you can kind of hear it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because uh -huh. like wind is like another like really epic like are they bit thing. crushed are you bit crushing those no what, what is these that? are not bit crushed it's yeah. just like um wind chimes just really high frequency and they kind of sound like they're bit crushed but um i don't think there are i don't think i bit crushed them. okay cool wind chimes are they just sound kind awesome. of crystallized almost yeah well like i think what i'm doing is i'm using this um free vst by the way um called ott Oh yeah, which is like this multi-band compressor, compressor and expander, uh -huh. and it just crushes the f out of your sound. Like it crushes it too much, so I almost always like have to pull back the settings. Mm -hmm. But it just like really brings out any like tiny, like crystally high end that was in the sound. It just like makes it super loud, mm -hmm. and it's it's perfect. Like at low volumes, it adds so much like high end, and it gives your track a lot of um like perceive loudness when it's all mastered together and mixed correctly. Mm, interesting, interesting, yeah. All right, so uh, last but not least in, in the stems for this track is the Vox bus. Now, the, the Vox definitely in this track adds a whole other level of epicness, right? Yeah. This big male vocal uh, samples that you got going in here. Tell us a little about these. So um, I um, got these vocals off of Splice, which is a really cool resource um, for Don't producers. Here we go. Have to change. What's yeah. he really saying? What's he Just because you feel a little strange. He's saying, um, "Don't let them tell you you have to change." Don't let them tell you you need to change. Just because you're feeling a little strange. <laughs> Just because you're feeling a little strange. And uh -huh. so it's um it's the the original vocal from Splice was just like it didn't sound as crazy as it did then. Um, I mean, as it does now. So what I did is I, I, um, pitched it down by like six semitones or maybe three semitones. And then I duplicated it and then have that one just pitched down by one semitones and then panned them like just a, a little bit left to right. So it's a, has a, a little bit of stereo image and that like discrepancy between the pitches, like makes it kind of sounds like really otherworldly and like how his voice is kind of like wobbly and weird. And then I just um, put them through their own group. You walk aimlessly towards the brink. <laughs> and then um, I put that, I put that um, OTT on it just a little bit. So it just like brings them together. And it sounds we like one loud. voice uh -huh. rather than we like two voices. I see. With and, some, and are you, uh, the OTT is that, when you've got multiple pitches like this, are you running this through an effects bus or are you putting the OTT on the individual tracks? Or are you grouping them? How are you doing that? Um, the OTT, okay, so... We have two layers of the vocals, um, one pitched down by three, one pitched down by one, panned um, left, right, respectively. Then those are fed through um, just a, a busing group. And on that bus, I put the OTT on. So they're like, they're blending together. They right. sound more like, you know, they're glued. They're like right. one voice. Perfect technique. Yeah. And then on that bus, I apply <coughs> some uh, like space effects, like delay and a little bit of reverb. And I'm also like um, cutting out some low end because the OTT adds a lot of low end because it's bringing up everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I'll EQ it after the OTT. Yeah, the o and the OTT is is really it's a multi band compressor, so you can actually control the compression uh, on the different frequencies, right? Yeah, it does upward compression mm -hmm. and downward compression, which mm -hmm. is pretty crazy if you think about it. Just yeah. does everything. It just really compresses it like far beyond like. I think anyone thought you would ever need compression. OTT, over the top. Yeah, over the top. <laughs> I think that's what it stands for. Yeah. It, uh -huh. It's a really cool compressor. It's the same um, multiband compressor that um, was that is in the Serum plugin. And so X for Records is the people that um, make this plugin. And I believe X for Records is like Steve Duda's. It is Steve Duda, yeah. Um, I was just going to say that, yeah. It's, it's really good. Like, uh -huh. I think he kind of like broke like the music industry like when he put that out for free because uh -huh. he just created so many he's like so good that like that synth serum and like his free stuff just just so many powerful tools yeah. it's like if like um like uh the guy that does tesla i don't know why like the, his name is like uh-huh 
oh my God, that's so weird. Like I'm like, like a brain fart. Yeah. The, the guy that does Tesla, it's like if he just like released it, like his Teslas for free yeah. and everyone was like just driving like electric cars. Yeah. Like he, like Steve Duda kind of did that to the music industry and he's, he's a G he's like, um, dead mouse's producer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Elon Musk. Right? Elon Musk. Oh my God. Yeah. Elon Musk. <laughs> uh-huh. Why did I forget his name? Yeah. No, no problem. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are people like that who are, uh, total innovators mm -hmm. and disruptors. Yeah, disruptors, that's the word, uh, yeah. disruptor. Yeah, no, that's cool. So uh, awesome, that was a great um, breakdown of the we track. And uh, we still, stand tall. There we go, yeah. he's still going at it. There. Yeah. We are the warrior poets. We are the warrior poets. I love it, great lyrics too. Um, good use of the sample and really cool processing. So, but let, let's rewind the clock a little bit right mm -hmm. now. Because before you were social kid, um, and coming out of your experience at Pyramine, you put together a duo originally mm -hmm. um, called K-Theory. That is correct, K-Theory. So, yeah, so tell us a little bit about how K-Theory started, because that was really the beginning of your um, you know, outward bound career as an artist and, and a producer. It definitely was. So K-Theory, the concept of K-Theory started... Um, I believe around August um, 2010, um, when I met um, the producer that goes by the name of Delon's now, his name is Dylan. And um, at the time, there was this um, big party in San Francisco called Electric Pop Rocks or EPR. And he was um, booking the side room and I hit him up on Facebook because I wanted to, I wanted a spot there and I was, um, um, going by the name Frostraven, which was like an even- That's right. How could I have forgotten which that? Which is even- You were Frostraven throughout your whole time at Pyramine. Yeah. That uh -huh. was like my first, my, like one of my, my first like main, like DJ, like producer projects. And I was doing um, like chill out and Psytrance type music. Uh -huh. And so um, I was, and, and around 2010, I like discovered um, Dubstep because another like Pyramine alumni, I think his name was like Manish- yeah. Manish the Twister. Yeah, yeah. He course. showed me like dubstep in like 2007. I was like, what is this crazy sounding music? It's like down tempo, but like mixed and mastered like a like a dance track. Yeah, shout out to Manish. He came in. He was also a peer reminder and, and uh, had a, a group uh, producing music called Surya Dub, I think. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so I was really into that sound. I was like, I know I'm making Psytrance, but I kind of want to make this. So, and I noticed it was getting like, there was like dubstep rooms like appearing like all over the place. In 2010, I I hit up Dylan because he was the the booker for EPR at that time, and I was like, "Yo, dude, I wanna um I wanna play this party." And he was like, "Okay, um, oh, you use Reason?" And I was like, "Yeah, I use Reason." And so he was like, "Can you teach me?" And I was like, "Sure, let's um do it." And then I actually first time met Dylan at Piermine back in the old um Piermine um office. And I showed him some stuff on Reason, and he was like, wow, this is really good. We should like collab. And I was like, okay, do you like dubstep? And he was like, of course I like dubstep. I'm the dubstep booker. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so I was like, cool, I can like leverage these tutorials and um, like becoming a group to get like more plays at um, EPR because I really wanted um, the DJ on a more like mainstream festival, even though I like love Psytrance. But back then it was like, very underground, very hippie, which was really cool, but like it wasn't getting like the accessible exposure I was looking for. And so me and Dylan collabed on K-Theory and we were um, creating like a dubstep project and we were trying to like bring dubstep to a new level because it wasn't really, at that time it was very like dubby, like, you know, like smoke in a joint, Rastafarian, like chilled back dubby. And I was trying to, I wanted to bring it like, more electrified and like modernized, which it is totally is like nowadays. Um, but we were trying to do that back in 2010 and we meshed really well. We like would um, meet each other at his school and Pyramine and would like produce together. And yeah, I remember you guys booking the studios yeah, there we would, and it working was on tracks working together. together. And we were just yeah. having like a really good like workflow. And um, as like dubstep started getting bigger, I think like Skrillex released Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites in 2011. We kind of decided to pivot because we, um, I showed him this song by Juno Reactor, 
who's like a really old school producer. I don't know if they're still doing stuff. And it was like a track at like 100 BPM. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. What if we did dubstep at like 100 BPM? And we started experimenting with Glitch Hop, which um, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know like how popular Glitch Hop is now, but that was like my first foray into mid-tempo. And Dylan was super into it. And like other people were super into it. And we became kind of known as like Glitch Hop pioneers around 2011 to 2012. Mm-hmm. We're releasing on labels like Simplify, um, I think that was like probably our biggest label that releases on then. We had um, another track um, with, I think, Mal label. And we were just getting some pretty big recognition. Like, I mean, big, like relatively to like underground dance music. Um, and then I around um, late 2012, um, early 2013, we wanted to expand because Glitch Hop kind of had like a hip hop sound. So like, it naturally make us, made us think like, well, what if we put like hip hop vocals on it? And that's um, when we brought in our um, vocalist, um, Malcolm Anthony. And that kind of changed the sound of K-Theory into more of like, you know, like a hip hop group. And we started experimenting with 808s because Trap started blowing up around 2011, 2012. Um, and we just had a hip hop producer. So we were like, Oh, let's like throw some 808s in and see what happens. And we had a, we had some pretty, that's like when K theory really started blowing up because with like, you know, the cutting edge production of like EDM underground EDM, plus like a more mainstream sounding, uh, rap vocalist, it took K theory to another level. Hey, isn't that too also when, you know, trap was starting to come on, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And so you were injecting elements of trap production into that as well, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Trap had been a pretty popular like hip hop production technique for a very long time, but in like the EDM world it was re- relatively fresh. Like no one had ever heard like like drum rolls and build-ups and drops with like trap production and it just went so well and then with the infusion of like these rap vocals it allowed K Theory to get a lot of recognition, and we played some pretty fun festivals um, during those days. Yeah, you played uh, Red Rocks, right? Yeah, you played, played Coachella. Played Red Rocks, Coachella, Electric Forest, um, and um, a bunch of other f- festivals. I I kind of there was so many. Like I forget the names. I think um, <laughs> Snow Globe was another one. Uh-huh. Um, Lightning in a Lightning bottle. in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Snow globe, isn't that local? Was that San Francisco here? I um no, I think that's Colorado. There was like um okay. a San Francisco festival. Yeah. We played some like love love illusions or love parades. Mm-hmm. They kept changing their name. Um one of those, um oh, Beyond Wonderland. Mm-hmm. That was another I can't believe I forgot that one. Mm-hmm. Um that was the one that was in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh there was like some winter salt or summer salt, what was also like a San Francisco festival that we played. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was all with K Theory once you kind of had kind of crossed over with trap and yeah. and, and uh, hip hop and rap vocals on top of it. Yeah. Now who's the who's the rapper that you guys partnered up with on this? His name is Malcolm Anthony. Right. And um, he is a very talented um, rapper. He also does kind of like singing vocals too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He kind of has like a, a a Drake like slash Wiz Khalifa vibe, and um just really cool flows and cadences with his vocals and now i'm looking at your uh, spotify here on uh with k theory and you guys have still quite a few monthly followers over a hundred like hundred eighty thousand here it's pretty big you got hundred eighty thousand listens and uh, some of your top tracks i'm looking at here this one called gdfr Featuring oh. Sage, the Gemini, and Lucas. It's got over 8,888 uh, plays on it. Yeah. That's pretty significant, that, man. That was um, an official remix for those guys. They actually, um, they're one of the many like top um, artists that have approached Kathir for remixes. We were known for like remixes because we would do a lot of remixes that would get post on Trap Nation, which is like gotten so huge mm-hmm. um that remix the gdfr was actually nominated for a grammy um which is was super exciting because i mean i've when i was first doing this stuff like back in like the early 2000 mid 2000s i was never even thinking about like grammy nominations so that's mm-hmm. super cool that um being a part of k theory and that trio like gave us the opportunity to become grammy nominated yeah it's incredible and 
what it, what about this remix do you think uh, took it to that level and got that level of attention? Um, I think it's because of like the EDM production aesthetic. Um, it's not too different from the original, and I think that they didn't really want it that different. They just wanted it to be like a club track that they could DJ in the club, and it's more like a dance track than a hip hop track, but still like have that you know accessible pop feel. And so the remix like incorporates, you know, breakdowns, like drum fills, buildups, the things that like make people attracted to dance music. And like the 808s are mixed, the drums are mixed louder. Usually in pop music, the the loudest instrument is the vocals. Um, sometimes they even sidechain, like they duck the drums under the vocals. Sure. And so we weren't we weren't doing that. We were making like a club like dance track. They actually liked it so much that they had us make an even clubbier version of that track, um, like the called the club mix that they would just exclusively like play during the club. I don't know if it was ever released. They just wanted like like even bigger version because they they really liked what we did with the remix. Mm. So that's I think that's what it is. It's like pretty similar to the original, but it's arranged and mixed and like mastered in like a dance way so that it just hypes people up even harder. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the evolution of the dynamic between the three of you guys, because eventually there was, you know, stuff, diff different things happened in, in terms of your um, interactions and the dynamic. And it seems like from the get go with Dylan, you had a kind of producer business relationship, right? Mm -hmm. You were really focused on the production side and he was very focused on the business and the marketing side. Uh, and somehow that seemed to create a really great dynamic for you two. It definitely did. Um, it allowed us to do, um, there were times when we were getting bookings back in the day where they wouldn't have enough money to like fly um, two people out. So like he would oftentimes like go to shows DJ while I would like stay back in the studio and like work on beats. So we had like dual like productivity going on. And um, it was like a really, really helpful thing for us because like back then, I mean, I'm still very introverted. So like I was okay with that because I would just like to stay back in the studio and like work on music. He's really extroverted. So like he would want to talk to people. So it just kind of worked out. It was good synergy. So he was the extroverted networker guy. Yeah. He'd go out, do shows and and you'd be cranking on, on the track. That's right. Uh -huh. So th we did that for like a very long time and for like really big shows, like the Red Rocks ones where they um, had like the budget to fly all of us out. Um, we would all go and in, and enjoy the the life of the festival, which mm -hmm. has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, though, um, around ah oh, man, I could be getting the years wrong. It's it's probably like written down somewhere. I know there's like a Wikipedia article that like kind of documents all of this. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, and which is like eighty percent accurate. Um, <laughs> um, there were some creative differences. I was kind of getting because we were getting like um, like contacted from like big labels like sony and like interscope like the sound was getting like way poppier and i started feeling kind of disillusioned with that because i wanted i wanted to make like cutting edge dance music but that wasn't like paying the bills and like um we were living off our music um during this time um which i feel like is pretty impressive it's just like i didn't have to work at all during this i was just making a living through like revenue streams um and like DJ bookings, but I wanted to make like heavier dance music. And so I kind of started like slacking on my um, music production. Like I wouldn't like make as much music and eventually it caused like a rift between um, the three of us. And they like caught on to that and they were like, yo, long story short, they like kicked me out of the band. And I was like, okay, whatever guys, like this is ridiculous. You're kicking out the producer. Uh, I was going to say, how could they, isn't that kind of chopping off your nose to spite your face here? Yeah, what, 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 I mean, what's, what's the deal there? I, I think they, they, I'm not quite sure what they were thinking. They probably just wanted to shake me up because they were um, thinking that I would like come back because like that is pretty ridiculous. But they also um, had like a pretty um, big catalog of music and K-Theory is going really strong. So I well, guess this was a catalog of music that you'd produce. Yeah, I pro I produced. Uh-huh. And I I'm I'm sure if I like really wanted to take it to like arbitration, I could have fought for it. But I was like already working on like the social kids side project at this point. So I was figuring like, you know, I kind of just really want to do more underground cutting edge dance music. I kind of just like let it happen. 
and eventually they like um there was like a rift between um Dylan and Malcolm during this time like while I was out of K theory um I like made an agreement um so before that rift with Dylan and Malcolm happened me and Dylan I believe came up with an agreement where I would get um 100% rights to social kid because like interesting story me and Dylan came up with like the social kid branding um by ourselves like way before we actually met um Malcolm in around 2011 because um, we were, I was DJing at um, our apartment playing a progressive house track because I was like really in the progressive house. I still love DJing progressive house because it's so much fun to DJ. And he was like, well, this sounds really fast. How fast is it? And I was like, it's 1.30. He was like, you should slow it down. And we slowed it down and it like took it from like F sharp to like E minor, which is like a really dark key. And it was like a hundred and, and like five tempo and it sounded so weird and so fresh we we're like whoa what is this mm, and mm -hmm. so like i started like experimenting with like creating like tracks like like that like mimicking that sound and we came up with a name together um social kid because we thought like it'll be like this masked masked like anarchist like hacker producer making like really like cutting edge like warehouse like sexy um techno music at a slow speed and we like experimented um, um, playing this kind of music at like more of the ravey warehouse shows because we would have glitch hop, which is like at a hundred tempo, and we would like mix in just to see how this worked. And the reaction on the dance floor was like really cool, but it was it wasn't really doing anything because it was such a side project. We were mostly focused on K theory, so it was kind of on the back burner for like years. And then I felt that like this time, like fast forward two thousand sixteen ish, um, oh, I can like start going full time on social kid. And I made an agreement with Dylan. I was like, yo, I want the full, if you're going to kick me out of K theory, I like want the full rights to, um, social kid. And like, he agreed to that. Um, did you have to relinquish any rights to K theory? At that um, point? I, I did, but then I eventually got those rights back after, um, some Dylan and Malcolm had some sort of falling out drama. I'm not, I don't know too much of the specifics on the, what that, was but uh, i think uh, their their interplay their, their interplay uh -huh. um but like your edm wrote an article like all about it and they actually hit me up for like a comment and i was like no comment because i just didn't want to i was just focusing on like like finishing my music um because i i really wanted to like put out like a like substantial like social kid music um at this like mid-tempo like genre and it was like around the time like res started blowing up and i was like whoa this is they're like finally this sound is actually becoming like a real genre which was really surreal because like for the longest time i was working on like social kid music and at this mid-tempo genre and i didn't even know what to call it like what style is this like i guess i'll just call it mid-tempo but like back then when people heard mid-tempo they thought of like glitch hop Mm. Um, but then Rez like blew up because she was signed to Dead Mouse's label, Mousetrap, and that kind of like created a conduit. And I was like, "Whoa, this is this is really cool." And I released probably my biggest track to date um, for Social Kid, Transmissions, which almost has a million plays on Spotify. Mm. Um, oh, we, we you brought that with you here? Today I did bring too. that with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's a. A much older track that was like before there were vsts so I, uh -huh. I had to do some like frankenstein like work to make that track like sound really good that's like when i thought like ah uh, like after i produced that track i i was wondering if um i would have to switch to ableton but luckily reason came in with the vsts um but i digress anyway so um <laughs> yeah there's this is a long t the the twisted um convoluted story because like a lot of stuff happened well like so many so many you know artist careers you know there's so many twists and turns yeah. and that's what i love talking about here this is great yeah, yeah. so um around 2000 like late 2016 um i believe the drama with like dylan and malcolm ended and they separated and Dylan was like left with like the rights of K theory, but like no um, producer. I think what they were doing when like he was with Malcolm, they were just buying beats off of like BeatStars, which is like a site where you can like purchase mm -hmm. beats. Mm -hmm. And they were just leveraging um, Malcolm's like creative vocal talents. But then when he didn't have Malcolm, he was like, well, what do I do? I have this like really like tight brand, but no producer. Um, and he was more of like the, you know, like the Puff Daddy style producer where he like has like great ideas and like points at like musicians. And it's like, do this, do that. Mm -hmm. um, and more of like a vocalist, like singer songwriter type of producer. 
So then he hits me up and was like, yo, let's start um, K-Theory again. And um, we signed some agreement um, and I um, moved to Salt Lake City to like, that's where he lived at the time, um, and start working on K-Theory music. And we put out like a substantial amount of K-Theory music. Um, but um, What year was this? This was like around um, <coughs> late 2016. Okay. Uh-huh. And we started working on more K-Theory music, but it was like, kind of like the old school K-Theory, like before Malcolm, like more glitch hop focus. Mm-hmm. We had some releases. Mid-tempo. Mid-tempo, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had some releases. So kind of like what you're doing with kinda, Social K. Kind of like what I'm doing now, but uh-huh. like more like thuggish. Uh-huh. Um, and we had some releases on Westwood Records, which is like a glitch hop um, specialized label um, by the Funk Hunters, which is a pretty big glitch hop group. Um, but... um we started having some creative differences because um, I just wanted to go like deeper underground. And I think he wanted to go more poppy. Plus he was also working on his own like side project, which be- has became his main project, Delon's, which is more of like an indie, like pop rock band. And I think that's like more- Whole where, other thing, huh? Was it more where his heart was because uh-huh. um, he's he's really like a lyricist and like, like songwriter at heart. And so um, <clears throat> we kind of had a falling out. I like moved back to California um, and my track transmissions like had um, just released like um, early 2017 and it started like getting lots of traction. There was some big DJs playing it out. I think um, like Kill the Noise, like played that track out. Um, Whip Cream played that track out, which who played that track out a lot. Uh-huh. And it just started um, like a lot of people I have talked to um, in the mid tempo scene, like have told me that that track is like what got them in the mid tempo. Um, it was like a really interesting time, 2017. Is that uh, is that under K theory? Transmissions. Transmissions is under Social Kid. It is under Social Kid. Okay. Um, so 2017 is like when um, around the time when I like was fully like. Um, left K theory and started really producing like full time for social kid and transmissions kind of like jump started my um c- career for I mean again because I was releasing like social kid music throughout like you know the K theory days but it was like super like underground mm-hmm. no real promotion being like pushed besides just like K theory resharing it on SoundCloud every once in a while. How were you putting it? Was it all SoundCloud it was driven? All SoundCloud. There was like no official labels for Social Kid. It was just straight up indie. Uh-huh. Same thing with um transmissions. It, I mean, that was on like a K theory like label. We use like, I think it was either like Symphonic or TuneCore or one of those like self distributing like companies. Uh-huh. And it did so well that um it attracted like more um artists and producers towards me. And I got hit up by um, the owner of Synesthesia um, Records, which is the record label that has put out a lot of my tracks. Um, and Crystal Satellites got a standout track um, from that because it was on this um, compilation by this producer called Lick um, called the Blood Moon EP. And it like featured a lot of prominent mid-tempo because um, going into um, 2018, mid-tempo started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like Rez was like getting bigger, like super big at this point. And almost every like DJ playing like at like a bass festival would like mix in mid-tempo. And um, 2018, I believe September 2018 is when um, that, when Crystal Satellite came out on the Blood Moon EP, which is like a compilation EP, like I said, by Lick on Synesthesia Records. And it really just started like fueling my career. And then I was like, okay, like Social Kid is like a thing. Mid-tempo is a thing. It's surreal that like just a few years ago, like no one knew like, what do we call this style? And now everyone's like, oh, wow, it's that res genre. Like, this is awesome. Let's like, we want more of it. And was so was Transmissions kind of the breakthrough for you in that? Transmissions was definitely the breakthrough yeah. because um, I think I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I, besides maybe like Gustafelstein, who was like a pretty big um, producer, I think I was like one of the only other people like pushing this genre before Rez like made it really big. So um, when Rez got like blown up, people were probably searching for like, what's other music like this? And I think that's how they found Transmissions. And Transmissions is a really like banging track. 
Um, yeah, let, let's play a little transmissions. Just talk a little bit about what you're doing here and, and what what you see as having really made such a difference. Hold on. Well, that's that's GDFR. That's yeah. that's K theory right yeah, yeah, there, yeah. right? Let's play transmissions. Here we go. What I think makes transmissions really successful is it's very DJ friendly. It starts off with a drum beat. It's really easy to DJ, and that's where a lot of people were listening to it in like DJ mixes and DJ sets. And it has like this breakdown area with like no drums that like leads you into like this really fat like snare fill, and it just goes into like this heavy minimal drop. Um, and the drop is simple. It's very simple. It's basically just a fat kick with um, a simple, like, saturated sine bass line, just doing an interesting rhythm. And I think that's why people like it, because it's ridiculously simple. It's, like, stupid simple and mm -hmm. mastered super loud. Mm -hmm. Here it comes. I'm going to crank it up a little. Here we go. Oh, I can see I can see the mosh going right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. There's not much going on. The sound design is pretty basic. Um, it's got those sound effects like spicing it up. And people just really, really enjoy it because the bass line is just simple. People like simple stuff. Yeah, and it's also it's got a very infectious kind of hypnotic rhythm and then you're also spicing it up with little vocal elements too yeah because which is just enough to keep keep people listening for a story here and then this section i bring in the more like electro style to give people like a switch up mm -hmm. so they can like really rock out but even here like the electro basses are still pretty basic and that's because at this point um i mean i produce this like like a few years before I released it, um, it seems to happen. Like I'll release a track like a year after I make it. Um, I didn't have access to VSTs. Um, I don't remember exactly when the reason update for VSTs came about, but it was not, I did not have access to it. So Wasn't that like 2018? Yeah. Uh-huh. So like, and I made this like pre-2017 because it was released in 2017. Okay, all right, it makes sense. So uh -huh. I was using a lot of samples and I didn't have a Splice account, so I was- Could have been 20, end of 2017. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I was having to like use, utilize like a lot of my like mixing techniques to just like really beef up samples because the reason sample library, I mean, it's, it's good, but like their kick drums are kind of flat. So I would like have to saturate kick drums and like mix them super hard and like resample them to get them their levels right. Um, I think I sampled like the main bass line is like a virus sample that I that I found in some like reason refill that I might have actually gotten from Pyramine because like I I got access to a lot of cool like sounds and toys from Pyramine and just saturating mixing it. So all, it would sound. all off the Pyramine servers. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> this bass line, I, I found like this, or it might have been like a Moog. It was some sort of like FM style synthesizer that I did not have access to because I just you can't use VSTs. But the um, I think the NN19 is a really cool sampler. So I brought it into the NN19 and just like started playing around with like patterns. And I found this really cool groove that mixed really well with my kick drum. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, I don't even think I have to do anything else to this track. Just add like a clap and, a, and, a, and effects and hi-hats. And it was just really groovy. And that's kind of like the basis of the track. It's just that that sound. A lot of, a lot of interesting uh, transitions in transmission. Okay, now we actually just went into another track there, right? Yeah. It's called Forever Floating, another Social Kid track. Yeah. Um, but um, it seems like, you know, you took that level of simplicity, added some interesting sound design elements and some great mix techniques, mm -hmm. and then, like you said, mastered it hell loud. Yeah. I, I had to leverage my, like, mixing and, like, engineering techniques because I didn't – I just didn't have access to, like, the advanced sound design tools. I mean, Reason has some pretty cool synths, but um, what I was hearing in my head, like, this is why I was considering switching to Ableton at this point because, like – 
because producers were getting so good, I like felt like I couldn't compete anymore um, at the level of these other producers and really like make a splash for myself um, with like Reason's current technology. So I was doing everything I can, like, okay, if I can't like do this really advanced sound design, what can I do? Well, I, I thanks to the amazing classes at Pyramid, <laughs> I like have like some pretty good mixing chops. So I'll just like use like mixing and and engineering and just like process these like sounds like the to hell. So it sounds really good and and they're like all saturated, so I can mix it super loud and get it banging. And so that's kind of how transmissions got together. Um, a, a lot of samples and a lot, a lot of digging for like the right samples, and because um, the NN19 is like a really cool intuitive sampler, and it's just really easy to like play around with, like change the pitch, and you can like layer samples together and have different velocities trigger different things. So it was it was pretty interesting producing like that. Um, but I felt like you know I can't produce like this always because it limits my creativity. But it it's a lot of work. Too, it's a lot right? of it's like yeah. a lot of work for yeah. like a lot of like for like a pretty. Si it's funny like that track sounds really simple and it is really simple, but it was like a lot of work like putting it together mm -hmm. um, to like find the right sounds and to like make it all mesh together. So when Reason announced VSTs and I finally got a hold of Serum, I was like, oh wow. Thank the music gods. <laughs> I, I can now like, you know. Yes, they've do come some, to your rescue. Can do some advanced sound design. Although I was like kind of behind, I had to like study like um, wavetable sound design because I, I haven't been playing with it for as long as like like the dubstep producers of that time mm -hmm. were. So I had to like quickly catch up. But I feel like I'm I'm pretty caught up on like how to use um, Serum because it's, it's very similar to the Maelstrom. Mm -hmm. It just like you can just like LFO everything, and that mm -hmm. makes it really cool and really creative. And so, mm -hmm. a lot of these newer tracks, I'm utilizing the more like advanced sound design, which is like why you're hearing like certain basses that have like this wide and then mono, and then they're just going, they sound like they're talking to you. Yeah, big conversations going on there. And that kind of brings us to the other track that you brought in today, this track called Crystal Satellite. Now, I know we've been talking about this, and I'm super excited to be able to onboard you as a mentor on mm -hmm. the Pyramid Network. And I hope that people listening here realize that all of this experience and knowledge is literally going to be on tap for them to be able to book time with you Um one-on-one -on -one and, and to, you know, kind of dig into your brain and your experience that you, you know, have built up for yourself over the last, really over like almost 15 years now, right? Um, 12 Al years of producing? Almost, almost Wait, 20 years. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Coming out of Pyramid. Yeah. Wait, wait, what year did you graduate? Um, I, I think I graduated 2007. Um, no, was it really that long ago? It was, well, I mean, it was even earlier than that because I, I grabbed, I could have graduated early, um, earlier than that, but I had such a good time. I was like, I want to like stick around, stick around. And I <laughs> yeah, like, I, I like that. asked you like, yo, can I just audit all these classes again? Cause I was just, I wanted to like leverage like everything. Like you said, like you can get like 9,000 or maybe not 9,000 hours, but like a, a bunch of hours in like the vault, which was like the prime studio back in the day. And I like used it all up and you were like, yeah, you can audit the class. I was like, you, well, you said it, I'm going to do it. And I did like, I audited like every single class. So basically like managed like another like free year or I guess it was six months back then of like pure mind education with like a whole new batch of students uh -huh. just to like further my learning. Yeah, so you, you really took advantage of our free retake policy. Oh yeah, why not? Uh-huh, that's great. No, so awesome. um, uh -huh. I, cause I, cause YouTube was, I mean, YouTube was kind of a thing, but like there weren't like, you know, and this was like where you would get like the, the, the secret sauce cause you would like, talk to like a bunch of producers, um, like see how things were, would go. I got to like sit in on sessions, watching people make music. It was a great experience. Um, Pure Mind is like, was instrumental in like the way I like think about music and like how I even like route and mix things. So um, taking advantage of the extra class audits, I, I believe I graduated around 2007. Yeah, that's amazing. And so now you're, you're producing these tracks as Social Kid. We, we got a chance to listen and break down some of Epica. 
Um, but I know you're working on some videos for us too, right? I am, absolutely. So we're going to get to see you actually break down these tracks on video. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be putting them up on our YouTube channel. Super psyched for that. Me too. Um, bringing you on board. Um, we're redesigning the Mentorship Network page, actually. As, as I speak on the mic here, it's being redesigned. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be super cool how we're going to be presenting that. Um, and now we're, uh, let, let's just listen to a little bit of Crystal Satellite here. I, I think I want to, I'll play the whole track at the end here, but let's just play a little bit of it just to uh, give you a chance to talk a little bit about this track as well. Okay. Okay. This is a really cool track. I love this, this one a lot. This is pretty, this is pretty dope. I mean, right out the gate, what hits me about your style of production is that you have such a strong sense of sound design and ambient textures that really take the listener really far, really fast into a really, um, I don't want to say necessarily trippy, but just really um, evolved ambient space. And then, boom, you come with this just really cool, aggressive beat with that sawtooth waveform bass that just gets you grinding, you know? It's like got this really cool grinding feel. So talk about your approach to this track, because I, I just love it. I think it's just an awesome piece of music, man. So this track, like Epica, started actually with a melody that you can probably kind of hear faintly in the background. Um, and this melody was more of like a pretty epic, but like not more of like a romantic, like, Edward Scissorhands, like Danny Elfman vibe. And I really like always been a fan of like Tim Burton movies and like Danny Elfman music. Cause it's got this like really Gothic, like romantic, dark vibe to it. And um, I thought like, whoa, what can I do with like this melody? Can I like turn into like an epic dance banger? And so that's kind of like, I, th- I sense a recurring theme here. Yeah. You know, that's so, so awesome. That, yeah, yeah, that's kind of like this track kind of like is the prototype for Epica because I'm doing that same sort of um, funky drum beat during the breakdown. There really, it is right there. Uh-huh. Really expanding the melody, going like full force here. Yeah. Um, so you can like dance to the breakdown because I, I used to be a big trance. I still love trance, but you can't really dance to the breakdowns. And what I love about trance is like the melodies, like how like deep and involved they are. So I decided, like, can I bring, like, a trance aesthetic and, like, make it dancey? Just put drums to it, um, but not as, like, heavy drums, so the melody really shines. And now, like, as you hear, the track's going to, like, build up into, like, its heavy sawtooth because that's what's really fun to dance to, like, loud, big sawtooths and, like, drums. Well, look, I'm going to let you save this breakdown for the YouTube video. Okay. So our audience can check it out um, on the Pyramind YouTube channel. Check it out on Piratube or The Piratube. And um, this has been super fun, Dustin. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, this has been great. Um, I I love where you're going with Social Kid. Super psyched to have you joining us on the Pyramind Mentorship Network. Really well-deserved. Um, so let's let let's let the track ride out. It's been a pleasure, and uh, look forward uh, to seeing you up on our YouTube channel a whole lot more. Me these too. Days. Thank you. All right, Dustin. Here we go. Let's check out the rest of Crystal Satellite. 